Grab your Bible this morning, if you would, and in the time that we have left, um, we are going to continue this journey into understanding what the kingdom of God is. And I want to invite you to turn in your Bible to Luke's Gospel, chapter 5. And you remember that just a few weeks ago, we began learning that Jesus' message wasn't just about getting people to heaven. His message was to get heaven into people. From the very beginning of his ministry, Matthew chapter 4, the Bible says that he began to preach this message. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is drawing near. So repent and believe the good news. Again, his goal was not merely to get people to heaven, but to get heaven into people. And we've been exploring what that means, how the kingdom of heaven begins here on earth. We heard Jesus say when the Pharisees asked him, how can we know when the kingdom of God has come? He says, you won't look on the news or see it in some organization or institution. It's within you. It's inside of you and it's among you. And he said, you have to understand that that's the message I'm preaching. So we've been exploring what that's all about. We've learned so far that salvation, Christian salvation, isn't just a backstage pass to go to the party after the show. Much clearer picture of Christian salvation is God's invitation to join him on stage in what he's doing in our world. And we saw that in the first week. And then last week, we learned that entering the kingdom of God is less about crossing a boundary and more about changing direction, about orienting to the center the center being Jesus himself. And we explored what that meant. This week, we're going to talk about the first practical steps you can take to experience the kingdom of God, to experience salvation Monday through Friday, as well as in a moment on Sunday. And let me begin by, by asking you a question. Raise your hand if you've ever accidentally turned the wrong way onto a one-way street. Put your hand up. That's like almost everybody in the room, right? We've all been there. You just, you were doing something else, and the next thing you knew, you were going the wrong way on a one-way street. And, and, and if you've been there, you know it's a terrible feeling. I mean, suddenly you're like, ah, I screwed up. What do I do now? And, and, you know, maybe people on the sidewalk are looking at you like you're dumb, and you're thinking, yes, I am stupid. I've always been stupid. And you're thinking to yourself, what do I do now? And there's that awful moment of realization, of course, you heard the old story about the guy who was driving home from work on the freeway when his phone rang, and it was his wife, and she said, honey, watch out, I just saw on the news that some maniac is driving the wrong way on the freeway, you heard this one, right? And he said, I know, but it's not just one guy, it's hundreds, you know, that feeling of having turned the wrong way, dawning on him. You know, the reality is that people make wrong turns all the time. It happens to everyone. But here's the, the bigger question. When you realize you've made a wrong turn, how do you react? I mean, can you throw yourself back to one of those moments and say, how did I react in that moment? Some folks, when they realize it, are paralyzed. I've seen people come to a complete stop, ah, like deer in the headlights, you know? And you can just see that the brain is locked up and they don't know what to do because they realize they've made a wrong turn. I've seen other people get defensive and angry. You know, they turn wrong and you start to go, hey, you're doing it wrong. I know, leave me alone. You know, they get all mad. They're probably mainly mad at themselves, I like to think. But other people in that moment pretend like they don't know they've made a wrong turn. Oh, no, I'm good, you know. And then they make the next turn off. And some of them, I think, actually don't know they've made a wrong turn. How do you react? 
Some people, in fact, most people, when they make that wrong turn, they hurry up to get to the next block, hopefully before anybody notices. And in fact, what I learned this week in doing a little research, that that is in fact the way that most people react to making a wrong turn. I did a little research and I found out that, that wrong way driving is in fact one of the top causes of traffic injuries and deaths in our country. And the reason the police tell us why that's the case is because most people respond to the realization they've made a wrong turn by doing something else just as wrong, if not worse. Most speed up in an effort to get to the next block and get off the one-way street. By law, I didn't know this, so I confess freely I didn't know the right answer, but I learned this week that by law what you're supposed to do if you find yourself in that situation is pull over, put on your hazard light, wait for the traffic to be clear enough that you can do a U-turn. That's what you're supposed to do. But that's what almost nobody does. Instead, most people, three-fourths, they tell us, actually speed up to get to the next block. A woman in Tucson, Arizona did that just a few months ago. She made a wrong turn onto a one-way street, realized what she had done, and floored it to get to the next corner and get off the one-way street. And in the process, she crashed into a car, killing herself, a mother, and two sons. All because when she did what all of us have done, made a wrong turn, she compounded it by doing something else wrong. Now, I share that illustration with you because the kingdom of God, the gospel of Jesus, is an invitation not to compound a wrong turn with another wrong turn, but to react to a wrong turn with a U-turn, with a change of direction. The kingdom of God is what happens to you when you start doing the right thing. Salvation is what happens to you when you start doing the right thing, when you change direction. Your experience of God's power in that moment is tied to making a U-turn instead of compounding the wrong turn. Lots of people like to think of the grace of Jesus Christ as a, an excuse, as a get-out-of-jail-free card for having made a wrong turn. And when we think in those terms, two things happen. One is we cheapen the grace, but the other thing that we do is then we compound one wrong with another and make everything worse, often to incredible tragedy. The only way to fix a wrong turn is to start doing the right thing. And that's what the kingdom of God is about. It is a change of direction, a U-turn that we take, and in the consequence, experience the freedom. Do you know that feeling you make a wrong turn? And however the circumstances work out, you get off the road going the right way on a, the right road and all of a sudden there's this immense feeling of relief and of security and of being in the right place and a loss of fear. That's salvation. That's the kingdom of God. The experience of going in the right direction after having gone in the wrong direction. I invited you to turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 5. Let's uh, look at this moment from Jesus' life and listen to him and watch him as he works with a guy named Simon who's about ready to make a U-turn. The Scripture tells us, Luke chapter 5, verse 1, that one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the Word of God, he saw by the water's edge two boats left there by some fishermen who were washing their nets. 
the end of a work day, the fishermen tended to fish in the very early morning and what we would consider the night into the early morning. They were back on shore having finished their shift, getting ready to go home. And in the middle of this situation, this moment, this context, Jesus is teaching the word of God. The scripture says, he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, whom we will later come to know as Peter. And he asked him to put out a little from the shore. And then he sat down in Simon's boat and taught the people from the boat. It's easy to understand. There's some natural acoustics with water and so on. We all get it. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master, we've worked all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, uh, I'll let down the nets. Now, let's get a little context here. It is early in Jesus' ministry, and he's attracting crowds at this point, but not followers. The disciples haven't been called yet, so he's got a lot of people driven by curiosity, interest. They're listening to him. They're crowding around him, but none have yet become followers. A couple of John's disciples were beginning to. I love what the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard said. He says, Jesus has many fans, many fans, but only a few followers. And I think it's worth asking ourselves in this series, even in this moment, am I a fan or a follower? The kingdom of God is an invitation to move beyond being a fan to experiencing the reality of being a follower. Now, in this moment, in the crowd is a guy named Simon. By the way, in a short period of time, Jesus is actually going to lose all these crowds. They're going to turn their backs on him. They're going to desert him down the home stretch. And the truth is that he's not very worried about that. Because his aim in life, his aim in ministry, his mission is not to build a crowd. The world thinks that the world is changed by crowds made to march in the same direction. Jesus knows that the kingdom of God is the only thing that can save our world, and it is what happens inside of one person when that person begins to follow God. So he's seeking followers, not crowds. He's not going to be very bothered by the loss of the crowds. In this crowd is a guy named Simon, and he's sort of in the crowd, but, but sort of not. If you picture it, what's really happening to him is that this Jesus guy is doing his thing in, in, on Peter's job site at his workplace at the end of a long day. And, and, and he's cleaning his gear and putting stuff away so he can go home and go to bed. And, and given what had happened in that particular shift, he's probably frustrated. He hasn't caught any fish. He's tired. He's been out all night. But because Jesus is doing his thing on his job site, he's listening a little. Some of us are like that right now. Peter thinks of himself as a listener and thinks listening is what respectfully religious people do. In fact, he probably assumes that that's the definition of a religious person. But Jesus is about to change that. And it begins in a small way. Look at verse 3. The Bible says, Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Now, friends, understand something. This is where the Spirit of God begins with all of us. He invites us to move from listeners to some small form of obedience. This is where the Spirit of God begins to build the kingdom in us. We move beyond listening to some small obedience. What does he ask Peter? He says, hey, can I borrow your boat? 
Would you row me out a little from the shore so I can teach these people more effectively? Now notice, Jesus doesn't command Peter. He asks him. This is how the real God works. Think of it for a moment, friends. When was the last time God forced you to do anything? He doesn't. He invites. He points. He directs. This is how the real God works. And this is part of the test, by the way, of the real God, of trustworthy pastors and trustworthy spiritual leaders. Do they try to control you or do they invite you? Last week, we learned that Australian rancher proverb that says there's two ways you can keep a herd together. One is to build a fence and the other is to dig a well. Jesus in the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom is digging a well and inviting us to draw near to it, inviting us to experience the cool, clear water of the kingdom. And let me ask you this morning, have you moved from listening to obeying yet? Have you moved from the crowd to someone who's beginning to do what Jesus says? Have you moved from listening to doing? Now, notice, when Jesus asks Simon to do this small thing, Simon could have politely declined. He could have said he was really tired and needed to be somewhere else. He could have maybe let his temper rule him. He's frustrated. He's he's upset because of the lack of fruitfulness in his night of fishing. He could have got angry and told this preacher guy to go fly a kite. But he didn't. If he had let any of those things rule him in that moment, if he had allowed any of those things to turn him away from a small obedience, he would have missed everything that followed. But he doesn't. He enters into a small obedience. When you do, the kingdom begins to happen in you. When you begin to follow him in a small obedience, the kingdom begins to happen. Peter chooses to obey. It's a small thing. It's a personal thing. And the scripture tells us in verse 4 that Jesus began to use Peter's obedience. He, he sat down in the boat that Peter loaned to him, that Peter rowed offshore, and, and he began to teach the people from the boat. Now, I want you to notice something. In that moment, Peter's listening changed. Up until that moment, he's trying to get his gear put away. Jesus just happens to be in his vicinity. He's sort of listening, but he's concerned with getting his work done. And so his listening is small. Now, he's sitting in the boat next to Jesus. There's nothing to do. The whole crowd's watching. And now, his listening is much more intent. When we start to obey Jesus, we begin to hear more of what he's saying. When you start to obey God, you will begin to hear more of what he's saying. That's the secret. Why? Because of magic? No, because your attention is now focused. And the kingdom of God is an invitation to focus your attention. Jesus takes advantage of Peter's small obedience and begins to enable him to hear more than he was hearing before. The Lord talks about this in Luke chapter 8 when he says to me and you, therefore consider carefully how you listen because whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have even what he thinks he has will be taken from him. Peter's listening goes up a notch because of his small obedience. And then after a little while, Jesus gives him another invitation to a a slightly bigger obedience. Look at verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water now and let down your nets for a catch. This moment always kind of makes me smile. Have you ever had somebody at your job site who you think doesn't know your job start telling you how to do it? (laughs) 
and Peter and his guys have been out fishing all night. They're pros. But Jesus says, hey, step out again. Go out again. Peter's like, the time is wrong. The sun's up. We've already tried. This isn't going to work. But in that moment, Peter chooses another small obedience. He responds to Jesus' invitation. He says in verse 5, Master, we've worked hard all night, haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Uh, Friends, that's not great faith. It's small faith at best. We might call it sullen faith, maybe even sarcastic faith. But Peter obeys. And now, not only is his listening getting sharper, now his experience of God's power is going to grow. Look what happened in verses 6 and 7. When they had done so, when they put out into deep water for a catch, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. And they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them fill both boats so full they began to sink. Wow. Take note. When you choose to obey Jesus, stuff will start happening. He will keep giving you larger invitations to obey. And each one you accept will increase your ability to hear him and will increase your experience of God's power. Lots of people live in the belief that God's power isn't at work here and now because they turn away from small obediences that would have opened their eyes to it. The kingdom of God is an invitation to experience you, me, experience God's power through our obedience to him. When you choose small obediences and you let them get bigger, stuff will start happening. When your listening turns into doing, God's speaking turns into doing. It's not a math formula you use as if getting more fish is the point. It's bigger than that. It has to do with your soul. And as you experience obedience, you begin to experience the kingdom of God, the freedom of the kingdom, the leadership the power of God in your life. You know, um, I grew up in the Northwest, so I learned to ski when I was young. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a great skier. I'm not even a good skier, but I can ski. I can get around a little bit. Um, and for many years, that's all I ever did. But when we lived over in Idaho, some friends one time invited me, talked me into going up and trying snowboarding for the first time. Now, everybody who's a skier and gets invited to go snowboarding for the first time thinks to themselves, how different can it be? (laughs) It can't be that different. It can't be that hard. I already know how to ski. I can do this. And then you get up and you strap that single board to your feet sideways and you don't have any poles and you start to go down the whole hill and you realize this is a whole different animal. When you're skiing, you have a degree, a pretty good degree of control. You can change direction, you can stop, you can do all kinds of stuff. When you're on that snowboard, you're at the mercy of the mountain. And the only way that you can learn not to kill yourself on the snowboard is to start learning to go with the flow of the slope on the mountain because you do not have the control you once had. Now, the pretty cool experience is that when you're snowboarding, I have to say this, it ends up being a lot more fun than skiing. Um, but it's very different in that you're really kind of obeying the mountain instead of imposing yourself on it. The kingdom of God is the same way. To live under Jesus' leadership is to go with his flow, with his momentum, to follow him in those small obediences so that you can experience the freedom that comes from it. Now, now, here's where it gets interesting, and we're going to turn the corner here because we've only got so much time. Look at how Simon reacts to the catch of fish. We might expect him to go, hey, we're rich, we win, let's take a selfie. But he doesn't. 
He doesn't. In fact, he does the opposite. He falls apart. Look at verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, this huge catch of fish, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Why do you think he reacted that way? Why do you think that he didn't react with cheering and exulting and celebrating? Why do you think he reacted this way? The answer is, church, that inside of Simon, there was more going on than even Simon knew. Just as inside of us, there's more going on than we know. And what happened in that moment was Simon realized that this preacher guy wasn't just another preacher guy. This was the guy. And in the moment he realized that, he also got in touch with something inside of himself something he'd never admitted before, something he'd never confessed before, but now he found himself unable to avoid it. And so he says, oh my goodness, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Peter in that moment is confessing the truth about himself for the first time. Church, understand, confession is one of the most powerful things in the world. Most people don't know God as he really is because they've never confessed who they really are. And as a consequence, they never experience him as he really is. Proverbs tells us in chapter 28, verse 13, he who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Now Jesus, seeing Simon come face to face with this fact about himself, Jesus knows that Peter can become much more than just a guy who's ashamed of himself. I wonder if you know that. Jesus knows that being led and ruled by him will turn Simon Peter's life into something much greater than it is. So he, seeing Simon in this moment, responds, verses 10 and 11, by saying to him, don't be afraid, from now on you will catch men. And so then they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. I love how John Ortberg describes this moment. He says, confession turns shame into relief because it awakens us to grace. Confession turns shame into relief because it awakens us to grace. And in that moment, when Simon comes face to face with the truth about himself and confesses it, how does Jesus respond? He gives him an even deeper invitation to obey at a still greater level. He says, hey, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. I will transform your life. As we obey, friends, we discover greater and greater freedom. As we begin to obey and then fail, this is the beautiful part, Jesus just gives us a deeper invitation. He invites us to step deeper into that kingdom that brings freedom. God wants to do that in you, in me, in everybody you know. In his book, Teaching Elephants to Dance, James Belasco describes how animal trainers shackle young elephants with heavy chains to deeply embedded stakes when they're young. In this way, the elephant learns to stay in its place. And, and when they've grown much larger and more powerful, they can be kept in place by simply attaching a small metal bracelet around their ankle. So you need to lead the elephant across the circus grounds and you need to leave him for a moment because you've got to run to the outhouse. You just put this blanket or this uh, bracelet around the ankle and leave him, the elephant won't move because the elephant thinks it can't move. 
Matter of fact, this training is so profound that elephants have been known to burn to death in fires because they thought they couldn't move because they had a bracelet around their leg. Lots of people live the same way. Paralyzed because they never confessed the truth about themselves to God and thereby never discovered who God is. Never discovered him saying, I know. Don't be afraid. Now come, follow me. Obey me in a new and deeper way so that I can set you free from that chain. A few weeks ago, I shared the story of Rhonda flying my friend's uh, little Cessna airplane for the first time, and, and here's what it looked like. She started obeying him, and she began to be able to fly. <laughs> he said, now put your hands here, put your feet here, look at this dial, okay, now do this, now do this, and pretty soon she's flying. Jesus wants to do the same thing in your life and mine. He wants us to come into the kingdom. See, here's, here's a terrible reality. Many people who think that God's grace is a free pass for taking a wrong turn, and so they say, I took a wrong turn, and then keep doing wrong things and wonder why they don't experience God's power. But the gospel is forgiveness for taking the wrong turn and an invitation to make a U-turn. Because there's no other way to be free than to make the U-turn. Repentance is the gift of the gospel, not a thing you do on the side. And Jesus knows that, and so he invites us into it. Matter of fact, the, the Lord took this even deeper. Here's the thing. Jesus doesn't preach the kingdom of God because he needs it, but because we do. He preaches it because it's the only alternative to sin, which brings slavery. Jesus put it this way. He said, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. It's addictive. It's like a narcotic that you start taking and can't stop. That's its nature. And Jesus says that you can be delivered from that simply by beginning to offer small obediences in response to his invitations. Lots of people are trying to experience grace without obedience. You can't because obedience is the experience of grace. Because sin brings slavery, there's no middle ground between God's kingdom and the kingdom of sin. You can't live in between them. You're either ruled by one or ruled by the other. So the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness. You can't live in the middle. You've got to go a different direction. And the gospel of the kingdom is an invitation to experience the freedom and relief of going in a new direction. I love what Dr. Vincent Felitti writes about this whole business. He says, sin always becomes an addiction that never satisfies because it is hard to get enough of what almost satisfies. Sin can't. Obedience to Jesus can and does. So, I said this morning we're going to talk about specifics. We've only got a couple minutes left. Let me give you three little small obediences that you can begin this week to enter the kingdom of God. The first one is to confess that you're a sinner if you've never done that before. And I don't mean that as a religious exercise. Confession is always specific. Maybe you know you're living outside of God's boundaries right now. Maybe you're skimming a little off the top at work. Maybe you're cultivating a relationship that you hope goes in the wrong direction. Maybe you've given yourself permission to vent your temper on your family or your friends or your neighbors or whatever it is. Confess it. God, that's wrong. I'm going the wrong way. In that moment, the kingdom begins to grow in you. 
In that moment, you begin to experience God. You begin to discover who he is. And, and, and how does he respond to that? He says, I know. Okay, got it. Now that you know it, let me give you a small obedience. Let me show you how to make a U-turn. And here's the first small obedience. Begin by controlling your tongue. Never swear, never gossip, never lie. Just stop doing that. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. In one of the strongest passages in the scripture, James tells us in chapter 1 verse 26, if any man considers himself religious, yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. So Jesus says, hey Greg, I know that you want to make a U-turn. Here's what I want you to start by doing. Control your tongue. Just do that little thing. Stop lying. Stop swearing. Stop gossiping. Just stop doing that. And if we respond to that invitation to a small obedience, we begin to experience the kingdom. We begin to hear, hear God more loudly in our lives. Then we begin to hear his next invitation to another obedience. Then we begin to experience his power. This is the kingdom. Jesus doesn't want to stamp your backstage pass and then let you go off and do whatever you want because that's a road to nowhere. He says, let's make a U-turn here, Greg. Let's turn around. Allow yourself to experience my kingdom. And then here's the last one, the third one, is then to, to accept his invitation to discipleship. He says to Peter, come follow me. Come follow me. Choose to be my disciple. The Lord put it this way in Matthew chapter 11. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, going the wrong way, and I'll give you rest. Rest is that relief of going the right way on the one-way street. Take my yoke on you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus doesn't just want you to go to heaven someday. He wants to get heaven into you and me. Here and now. Beginning here and now. So they can flow through us into the lives of our husbands, our wives, our kids, our friends, and our enemies. Because that is what he's about. You heard the story about the two priests who were standing by the side of the road holding up a sign that said, turn back, the end is near. And a car full of rowdies zipped past shouting, leave us alone, you religious nuts. And then the one priest turned to the other and said, do you think we should just put up a sign that says the bridge is out? Might be simpler. <laughs> no. The kingdom is that practical. Turn around. You're going the wrong way. It's going to end in disaster. And you can't make it right by doing another wrong thing. That's what the whole world is trying to do and failing. Jesus says, hey, you know that feeling of relief when you make the U-turn, you're going the right way again? I want to give that to you. I want you to feel that. I want you to know that. And every small obedience makes that happen. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes with me. Let me just ask you as your fellow human being, as your, your brother in Christ, what small obedience is Jesus calling you to right now? Maybe it's to confess that what you're doing is wrong. Maybe it's to begin to control and govern your tongue. Maybe it's to make that choice to say, you know what, Jesus, I, I want to be a disciple. I don't just want to be part of the crowd. I want to follow you. Offer your small obedience and he will meet you in it.
He will meet you in it. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Uh, as we go from here, God, rejoicing with all those who have chosen to, to publicly confess their faith through baptism, God, uh, fill us with joy that that's just the beginning of the journey, not the end, and that there's so much more that you have for us. We pray for that. We ask it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning, church?